You're listening to Cinema Rabbit Trails with Adam Rice, David Luffler, and Jerry Andrew. Well, welcome to Cinema Rabbit Trails, episode seven. Seven, yes. Uh, we just watched Darkest Hour, uh, the uh, the new film about Winston Churchill, uh, starring uh, Gary Oldman. That was, was thought it was really really good. Yeah, yeah, it was so, very good. Uh, special guest, uh, introduce yourself. My name is Glenn. I am their hi, Glenn. <laughs> I am their their guest, and. Uh, I don't know, should I tell them who I am or what yeah, I do? Just, or? Yeah, yeah just the maps short. Like, uh, 30 seconds, go. <laughs> I train leaders, uh, I'm a missionary, uh, I'm getting ready to go to Germany, so it's kind of cool Deutschland. watch a film about England in World War II, because <laughs> <laughs> that's a great setup to go to Germany. It's actually a big issue, it's a big issue over there, they're not allowed to. Oh yeah. They mm. have laws that don't let them talk uh, any about anything that, you know, supports the Nazis in any way, so. Wow. Mm. And so, say I blame them. I got mm-hmm. to, I got to go to Germany uh, back in 2015. So I mean, it really was funny how like mm-hmm. you know it, here in America you might call someone a Nazi, yeah, and it's a joke, but there it is yeah. very yeah. serious. Oh yeah, and I'm understandably so. But it was just culturally, it just was funny how you're just like you. I just was like I'm very careful about what I'm mm-hmm. saying here. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah, <laughs> that's really well, cool. Um, Adam, you haven't done a synopsis before, I don't think, on our live video. So why don't you give a synopsis of the film? Okay, sure. Um, so the the context, it began, and I forgot what invasion, uh, they, it talked about Belgium, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what did it, that's my only question, is what... what well, they, they, at that time, I think it was mainly Belgium and France that were at the forefront of the German attack. And so that's right. what, those are the two main countries at, at major risk of about to be overrun. And pretty much it had been determined that they were going to be overrun. They didn't have a, a fighting chance. Yeah. That's right. And then, uh, so after this, then then we're dealt with the decision for a new prime minister because the previous prime minister is seen as inadequate, as uh, the one who cannot face uh, the the trials, uh, their current state of invasion. So mm-hmm. they decide to choose a new prime minister. And uh, the, a few come up in... Um, Cham- Chamberlain being one of was it Chamberlain? Chamberlain was the one stepping down. He was the one stepping down. Yes, the one the Halifax. Halifax. Yes. Halifax yes. was in the running, uh, and it's interesting because as we'll talk about later on, uh, you do see an interesting dynamic between him and Churchill, and their views on on peace and war. Yeah. So he, he was in the running for it, but ultimately they, long story short, chose Churchill. Uh, and so during the the length of this film, really, we focus on the events of uh, mainly Dunkirk, I would say, and the uh, the the way in which they were trying to pull out uh, the troops, which was almost the entire British army. Yeah, uh, what was it? Three hundred thousand. Three hundred thousand yeah. troops. Mm-hmm. Jeez. So uh, if you've seen Dunkirk, you are familiar, I think, with the context of it, the historical context of it. So that should that's a good film to, I would say, preface this film with. Really lays in the foundation of how serious it was. It, it gives you the exact mm-hmm. picture of like this is the desperate the desperation we're actually feeling at the yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. So. And we we go a little more into Churchill's character, and we'll go on to talk yeah, about okay. that. But that seems yeah. seems to be a good gist. Because it seemed like the film was really Dunkirk was almost like the focal point of do we surrender or do we continue to fight? And that mm-hmm. was kind of the big decision that Dunkirk kind of. Um, set up so absolutely yes. yeah good job Agreed. yeah i think the my favorite quote from the film was um you don't uh you don't parlay with a tiger when your head is in its mouth absolutely <laughs> oh yes. man oh that just oh, I, I love that quote so much because the great. thing about churchill and unfortunately the film didn't con- convey it as well as i feel like it should have uh, churchill was a voracious reader he was constantly mm. reading like it showed the scene of him with the newspaper um, I remember going through a college lecture by Rufus Fears um, from like the Great Course series, talking about Churchill and how he would read like five newspapers every single morning, mm-hmm. um, and just how he would be constantly reading, you know, history, biographies, and so he was very well read with you know, military tactics, and mm-hmm. so definitely something like that. He knew enough. We're like, you know, how many more dictators do we have to woo or appease? Yeah. 
Well, and it's funny to me because you have so many people in the film, and uh, you can relate it to today too. In some ways, obviously not the war aspect, but just um, politicians acting like politicians. And <laughs> Winston Churchill, that that falls in line with that because Winston Churchill, if he read so much, he knew modern modern news from multiple sources, which is something we don't see today. Many people just rely on one news source, yeah, um, or maybe one or two at max. Uh, and then you have if any at all, if any at all, <laughs> Facebook does not count. Everybody, no, it does not. It does Facebook and Instagram do my, not count my, as news sources. My sister's brother said, <laughs> "Yeah, Snapchat doesn't count either." It I've seen they've tried be, to get on the news. It feed. might be called a news feed, but it's not. It's not news. <laughs> um, I just use Reddit, that's an, guys. <laughs> that's the opinion. Oh, the, the news opinion underground, feed. the underground news. But um, but yeah, so I mean, he knew he knew history and everything. And you know, go to the classic quote: "Those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it." I think that's why Churchill stands out because he's a Obviously, for one reason, because he was a man put in a leadership position at one of the most darkest times in history, Mm -hmm. um, at least in modern history. But the fact that he knew all that and navigated it differently than all the other politicians around him wanted to, he didn't. When it came down to it, he didn't act like a politician, even though he was a lifelong politician, which is interesting to me. We have again. I'm I'm only going to relate it to modern news right now, but we have Trump right now, who isn't a a, uh, career politician. Um, He is doing things differently. Um, not going to say whether I agree with it or not, but you go back to Churchill now. I mean, he was a lifelong politician, but he knew history. It doesn't take a non-politician to act differently. It just, I mean, if you know history and really just read a lot, <laughs> if you read from every source possible. there's So there's a lot of things about Churchill that you kind of have to read who he is. Like, just like how he read biographies about different leaders, uh, you'd kind of have to read his biography to know kind of why he's like that. Yes. Many, it's because, well, many biographies. <laughs> yeah, it's because he he was marked by failure. He failed mm. a whole lot. Reminds me of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> well, military experience. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, yeah. And not just that, but he also failed as a politician quite a bit, too. So, mm. like, you know, that's what I really loved about uh, when they set up the dynamic between him and, the, and his party. Uh, it's like he was the last thought. He was like the afterthought. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he ended up being just what they needed. Hmm. Um, so it's really remarkable. Uh, I really love how the, the the film, you know, they didn't water that aspect of it down. They yeah. actually mm, portrayed, yeah. you know, a little bit more of who he was. Yeah, And I didn't really know that going into the film. I always thought Churchill was just like, oh, he just happened to be the prime minister at the time. I didn't know it was like in this darkest hour mm-hmm. that that's the just that uh, he just came into play. Mm-hmm. A very side choice. One thing that's also interesting about Churchill, I didn't know this, but like after the war was over, um, I'm not sure how how England's government system works, but um, they didn't keep him as prime minister. Like when the war was over, he was out. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how can they do this? Like this national war hero. And it's because Churchill was saying, hey, now that Germany's done, we have to turn our face to communist Russia now. And what was interesting (laughs) about the movie is they really started tapping in how Churchill was... He he started tapping into the voice of the people, mm. and he saw people's mm-hmm. you know attitude was never 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 surrender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think probably as the war was ending, he's like, hey, we have to now take on the Russians and communism. The English people were like, we can't, we're done, we can't go on. And so I think they were just <laughs> weary of Churchill. Yeah. But that was you can't his. blame him at that point though. No, he but... wasn't the only one. Oh yeah, he wasn't the only one. You know, uh, I think uh, I think before. Um, um, was it Roosevelt? Uh, yes. Sorry, my mind's like... I think even he was actually pushing a little bit for Russia too, but but uh, I guess everybody was just tired of fighting. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, and it's, it's kind of hard to convince people of that when you've also been in, in partnership with them to defeat your biggest enemy. Yeah. So that probably would have been a hard sell on the American people. But that, that's one thing I found interesting as well. You mentioned just Churchill being in touch with the people and everything. Because mm-hmm. um, in, a, in, a, in the parliament system um, with uh, the UK, like the people didn't feel like they really had a huge voice. And so that was that was a huge moment. I mean, obviously it was a huge moment in the film, but just in general, that's a very big moment to speak of, just the fact that the highest, I mean, really the highest power in the UK at that time um, was got on a train and spoke to the actual citizens. Just like, how do you guys feel about this? It's like, help help me out here. <laughs> you can just see he's he's really desperate at the moment. He's good at not showing it, but you, they yeah. they kind of give that good balance. Gary Oldman was amazing at showing oh, all the dynamics of the character, but you could see yeah. he, he was like, he's desperate for information at the moment, 
but he still comes across as in control and in lead, which is very hard balance to communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just just receiving that input from the people, and that's that's well, one thing. Wit too, I loved oh, wit yeah, on the train because he was very witty. Yeah, it's funny to me too because he's he didn't have as much of a habit of it as Abe Lincoln did, um, but they're very you can relate the characters very well, even in their history. You know, failure yeah. upon failure upon failure, coming in randomly at the very last second, the right moment yeah. in time, just I got very. Nicely orchestrating everything. <laughs> um, and it's funny how God, like historically, when you look at the figures that God uses, that's usually the kind of background they have. Mm. They're they're like King David, for instance. Yeah. You know, his father didn't even come look for him uh, when they came to anoint the king. He was out in the field tending the sheep. Yeah. Mm. You know, he, everybody thought he was like you know the lowest of the low. Heck, even go over to. I mean, if you want to pull in the extremes you can go to the disciples and you know fishermen tax yeah. tax collectors and the the extreme of all extremes in my opinion would be saul slash paul yeah i mean he was hitler to a lot of pe- to the christians <laughs> at the time yeah. he was their hitler and he turns him into one of the most famous disciples of all time so it's, yeah. it's very crazy and very cool it's 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 like god's constantly turning everything on his head because societally uh saul would have been one of the elites of the religious class of that day. Yeah, right. right. But to the rest of the, ch- but to the church, to his church, he would have been a Hitlerisk sort of figure because he was persecuting people, having them beaten, mm. stoned to death, like Stephen was stoned to death yeah. at the approval of the Saul. apostle Paul or Saul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the flip, on the flip side, the the first twelve disciples. They were actually the rejects of that society. Yeah. So he started off with the rejects of that society. Then he went to the terrorizer of the church that God had just established. So it's crazy how God is is constantly, you know, flipping things on its yeah. head. So oh. God invented the story of the underdog. Go. <laughs> Gotta love it. So yeah. I, it was funny. I was talking to somebody. Uh, it was it was months ago. It was. It was a Facebook conversation. It wasn't a Facebook argument. It was actually like the like probably the only civil discussion I've ever had on Facebook ever, and it was awesome. <laughs> this this dude was like, uh, like, and we we made sure like other people tried to hop in and make it a, an argument. He's like, go away. <laughs> it was great. Like two opposing arguments were both telling the argumentative person go away. Um, but it was great. But one thing we were we were talking about is morality, and uh, I'll only mention this briefly because it doesn't fully relate to the film but I just rabbit trails right it's a rabbit trail so <laughs> um but we were talking about it and uh you know i'm coming from a christian perspective where god sets the moral standard he's coming from an eighth at least as far as i understand more atheistic perspective mm-hmm. um i don't know if it was fully atheistic i'm not 100 sure but basically he, more evolutionary standard we'll put it that way so that basically i i straight up asked him so you're saying that the the most major authority, the mo- the person with the most power or the group with the most power um, across the globe sets the moral standard. So moral standard is flexible based upon who's in power. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yes, all right, so one step further relating to history, if Hitler had won and controlled all, if not at least most, of the known world, he would set the moral standard and his slaughter of the Jews would have been morally correct because he sets the standard. He's like... You know, it wouldn't. Have, it's it's definitely not okay in my personal moral, st- moral standard, but evolutionary speaking, yes, he would be correct. And it's just not that uh, that makes that person a bad person. The guy I was talking to a bad person. I'm not going to name him, obviously, but um, protect his privacy. But um, he obviously, you know, he's not is in support that's of all this. He's operating from. right. That's it's, yeah, that's it's, what it's evolution evolution standards would would make that correct. So I mean, the question is, are you okay with that? Mm-hmm. Which I mean. Uh, I'm not saying, are you okay with with slaughtering millions of people? Obviously, most people would not be okay with yeah. that. Um, but it's just interesting to me how but there's I would have been no more standards without though, God. Because like, that's, that's, he says, from an evolutionary standpoint, then yes, personally, no. Yeah. I'm curious, though, because personally, you're arguing that evolutionary is the standard. Yeah. So what, what do you Why do you have a problem with that? you're personally <laughs> against it? Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just goes to show you that, that evolution isn't the way to go. That, yeah. that That's not the way that we... I mean, we can think about it logically, and even by our own, you know, sensibilities, and we know that it's nonsense. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make sense to order your life around survival of the fittest, because we're that's not we're Dar- Darwinian evolution. Darwinian, so we're, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's just not, you know, that's just not how we operate. It's not how yeah. we work. I need to have a science 
debate on this because I've it's it's funny to me because I've debated with uh, people who are at least I've not debated with an evolution scientist. I have not gotten to that level, but I have argued with people who know a lot of the science of evolution. Mm. It's so funny to me because um, we both kind of end up coming down to the same conclusion because what it, what it breaks down to every single um, evolution science proof whether it's carbon dating or uh, certain fossils discovered, things like that, they can be, they can fall within the creationist view of science as well. It all depends on the, pr the perspective you start from. Mm -hmm. But it all comes down to, at the very end of it, just like, because the Big Bang has, it, it, that is the biggest problem. You don't, it, you're basically saying in a Big Bang theory is the universe created itself and in some way, shape, or form, all matter has existed in some way, shape, or form for all of time with no beginning. So in the end, it comes down to, do you believe that matter in every way, shape, and form has existed for all of time? We're talking about multiple, multiple types of, of things existing. Or do you believe in one sovereign God who loves you, who decided to create you for a purpose, who has existed throughout all of time and never has had a beginning, never will have an end? Same like matter. What, I mean, it's, it, what's easier to believe? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, they call us ludicrous, and yet they believe in um, an eternal uh, state of things yeah. and we believe in an eternal god so it it's definitely wouldn't make sense in that context of, yeah. Uh, yeah if you're suggesting that believing in an eternal being is absurd then why do you suggest there's an eternal there's eternal elements that make up all things yeah, yeah. Well, i mean the discussion falls on a wide spectrum mm -hmm. and, and you know today we don't really think about that information uh well actually most people throughout time don't think about that information to the degree it needs to be thought about True. before coming to an actual conclusion yeah. but uh even even within evolution right because we started off with darwinian evolution but then the scientists who were examining it were mm -hmm. like well the data that we have now doesn't fit with that it doesn't make any sense so what did they do they came up with neo-Darwinianism, mm. right? And just two years ago, with the new information they have, they look at neo-Darwinianism, and they say, well, the information that we have, the actual evidence, not proof, right? because proof only exists in mathematics and logic, uh, uh, but science has dealt with evidence and the interpretation of that evidence. Well, mm -hmm. when they look at the actual data, they go, well, Neo-Darwinianism doesn't work either. And so there Neo, was Neo-Darwinianism? <laughs> so they, they literally came up, and for the third time, maybe even the fourth time, they said, well, the, the evolutionary uh, narrative that we've been presenting, it doesn't work with the data. The data actually disproves the narrative. Hmm. Uh, the problem is that that information typically doesn't get out to the general populace very quickly of course it destroys a worldview and it's and it's more of a worldview than it is a scientific position yeah. because because if it's real science then any uh pushback against it should not be met with the same kind of vitriol yeah. that a say uh a worldview inculcated as a religion you know like uh uh, like you know the the medieval empire under Christ, under christianity for instance yeah. So. Well, and it's funny. It's like uh, people talk about, you know, they, you know, science proves evolution, and yes, I mean, science changes, perspectives change, all this stuff. And mm -hmm. um, but you know, we go back to the weatherman. You can't predict tomorrow's weather perfectly accurately, <laughs> or the entire weeks, much less, I mean, the years to come. I mean, you can uh, the whole global warming, climate change debate too. Mm -hmm. um, but really, it comes down to all right. Let's. It, I mean, if I'm being honest, I'm not going to trust a human until they a, a human's perspective on whether and where the world is going mm -hmm. until you can create the weather, <laughs> until you control where the weather's going and what's happening. I can't trust what your predictions are going to be and tell you and let you tell me what my worldview should be based upon your science. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's well, my perspective. <laughs> on this note and the film's note. There we yes, go. bring it back. Bring it back, bring Adam. It back there you go. Can, uh, I think Beginning can... of the world, World War II Churchill. All right, go. Yes, on. that's right. I think we can um, consider talking about communication because you saw the the criticalness of, of communicating well yeah. and how that either, that either led to camaraderie or it led to disunity. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's really really important that we take note of 
okay, what are we communicating? How are we communicating it? Mm -hmm. And even why are we communicating it? Uh, that that especially is one to consider when, when we're in a world that supports a no-filter response. Mm. Uh, so, so what do you guys think about that? What do you guys think about communication and its importance? And even the way yeah. it was seen in the film. Good question. <laughs> I, was like, I, I have a thought. I'm trying, trying to find out. Okay. Yeah, well, let me it. start with mine. Go for it. Um, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Uh, words are powerful. Um, one of the things that's different, though, is that back then, the uh, the people who had the medium to communicate in that range was fairly limited. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you had even he had he had such a great command of the English language. Remember what he said, what uh, Halifax said? He took the English language and mobilized it in the battle and then sent it to war. Right, yes. I mean, that's that's how powerful it was. But but now we live in a time, like look at what we're doing here. We live in a time where almost everybody has access to that medium and we have a wide audience. And so uh, to some degree, it actually diminishes its effect. Yeah. It's like an overload of yeah. communication. Yeah. And it's just and becoming so, noise. But what ends up happening, and I think that we can see this with the whole fake news and the whole you know Facebook and, and all the stuff that's happened with our media, is that is that the loudest and most obnoxious, not necessarily most factual, mm. ends up getting the, the final word and people mm. end up getting behind that. I have a great quote. Mm -hmm. I, I want to say it was Shakespeare who said it, but I'm not 100% sure if I'm mm -hmm. right on that. Um, I think it was, um, the empty vessel screams the loudest. Mm. I think that was Shakespeare who said that. But you think about all these protests, all the fake news, all the, uh, the, the people I hear scream the loudest are the people who are upset with the politics, uh, who get angry at, at faith um, and... Uh, and certain uh, and the very conservative work ethic and things like that, it's uh, or conservative viewpoint, they just scream so loud, and you see them all over the news and people on the news yelling about it and creating these hoaxes, trying to debunk certain things or you know get people change pe everyone's views on other people. It's just like you guys are yelling at at a brick wall. <laughs> you're you're creating this this mental box for yourself that's just echoing and all, the only people hearing it are yourselves. Mm -hmm. You're just screaming inside your own metal box and it's just echoing I mean, back to you. And to be fair, I think both sides can be guilty of. Oh, very very oh, true. Yeah. I don't mean to yeah, I shouldn't have singled out just one group, but yeah, you're right. No. It's both sides are very guilty of that. And what's well, what's uh sorry, did you want No, to go ahead. We're both very <laughs> um, uh, what I was going to say, though, is I think the reason why that is, is we're a culture that has refused to listen to people mm -hmm. like we. That's um, why we're doing this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, I'm going through um, how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. Love that book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he book. talks about the art of listening and how it is not just I can listen to you. That's not really listening. Yeah. He's talking about listening is almost this full on engagement of I am. Hearing what you're saying, I am asking questions to clarify that it, it's an art, yeah. and it is something we have not even begun to do well in our society because mm -hmm. we are so engrossed in our phones and more honestly our own opinions. So yeah. I think that's why we have all these shouting matches. Mm -hmm. Is we don't first of all we're, we're, we care more more about our opinions than hearing what the other person has to say, but plus we're more concerned about being heard. Mm -hmm. Not so much being understood. So therefore, yeah. I'm trying to tell you what you what's right, what's wrong. You're trying to tell me what's right and what's wrong. So yeah. I'm not interested in learning from you a conversation. I'm interested in winning. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's where we're at right now. We're is very much we at need that. to. And that's what's going to be hard is both sides. Everybody has to take a step back and be like, okay, let's open up a dialogue. Mm -hmm. And this is why we're not having progress in government. This yeah. is why yeah, we're agreed. not having progress Absolutely. with political, you know, other parties. Is because we're trying. We're having shouting matches. And you're right. Yeah. People aren't listening. It is a brick wall. Two things I want to mention real quick. Uh, one, a quote from Doctor Who. Uh, that on roll with quotes. I know. I am. This is, they're all coming to <laughs> mind. This is great. I need to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is usually the other thing, David. But uh, it was a clip I actually showed uh, Adam, David. I showed you guys, but a clip from Doctor Who, where from uh, the newest guy, but Peter Capaldi, but um, where they're he's he's they basically have. Uh, 
uh, alien and human race at the table on these buttons that will either that will either destroy this both or one party. This is by the way, just letting get this, out. Yeah, this is <laughs> right, this is the same time. <laughs> aliens, <you're> totally. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. But no, like one thing he says, it's a long, long speech, but he gets down to the point. It's like, how long? Like you, you guys are on the brink of war, and you're just gonna you're gonna keep killing each other and killing each other until you both get to the point where you have to do something you should have just done in the first place: sit down and talk. Mm. Just like. That's that's the whole thing. I mean, it's but history diff- repeating itself. It's, yeah, history repeating itself. Now it was different with Hitler because he was an un- he was just uh, an animal going after everything he possibly could until he he had no other choice but to kill himself. I mean, he ended up killing himself because he had nowhere else to go. He wasn't willing to negotiate. That's a different animal. Um, but if if it's two factions with any semblance of uh, of civility. That's what it comes down to. Just sit down and talk. It, I mean, how many people do you have to send out to die and kill each other until it just gets to the point where there's enough blood to force a conversation? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a pride issue for one thing. And I know there are a lot of other factors that can come into play. I'm not saying that's the only solution that's available. I'm saying that's not, that's not what should always be done. There are instances where the only solution is to fight back. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some people who only only strength is what is the only language they understand mm-hmm. yeah so, it's true because so. what you're assuming and this is what churchill was arguing was you can't reason with a tiger while your head is in its mouth he's saying hitler is not a reasonable man this is not normal men don't go after world domination here because yeah. what hitler was going after was in a sense it was admirable where his nation was in shambles they were playing for world war one they were in absolute debt they had no military mm-hmm. so he was giving some pride back to his nation which any leader wants to you know lead his country well lead his people well yeah um his ambitions just outgrew that far yeah. too much and his ego drew that so the point is like you can't negotiate with somebody like that because what you want like what he wants is not something you can you can possibly give yeah well what churchill was faced with and what he ultimately decided was you have hitler who is ruthlessly conquering and where are those who are going to ruthlessly defend yeah and that was his his point. Um, and also with Parliament, this uh, the the point I was going to make earlier too is, he was in, he was in a, a place a political atmosphere that was very hostile. Focused not just hostile, but but they were focused on on, on being dignified. And mm-hmm. in that environment, you can imagine the amount of, of pushback you would have with that unbridled spirit yeah. that mm-hmm. he had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in there's a little break in communication there. Yeah. In that regard, too. So something else to consider. I always laugh at uh, this. Not laugh. I shouldn't say laugh, but I'm amused. <laughs> uh, I'm quite amused uh, by things in like uh, you see it in movies and in history books about like um, early American War and the Civil War and things like that. Polite warfare, where oh, it was yes. literally lines of armies <laughs> taking <laughs> turns shooting each other, and it's just like your turn. Okay, we lost that many men. Our turn. And it's just like, what is this? Like, how does this work? (laughs) That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. And I mean, at that in that type of warfare, it literally just comes down to who has the most men, the most accurate men. (laughs) Yeah, well, most accurate men. I mean, again, no, but you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you wound someone, they're out of the war for at least a while, so it counts as a military casualty. This is just a thought. I have to wonder where that even comes from, uh, because. You had, you know, medieval warfare, you know, swords, that kind of weapons, which yeah. is definitely not, it's not, it's very personal because you're, you know, mm-hmm. you're not just killing somebody, you're in their face killing yeah. them. So mm-hmm. I can imagine perhaps there were maybe some good intentions with that. I don't know. I'll look that up. I'm <laughs> well, I, it's, it's all a part of, and this, this would be a huge rabbit trail if we went on it, but it's all a part of, uh, it was all a part of the, um, what was that age called? The Dark Ages? No, not the Dark Ages. It it's was not chivalry, is it? No, not chivalry. <laughs> uh, when they started to develop uh, rifling, uh, gun, gunpowders, and, and industrial all. revolution. I mean, no, no, that's no, that's that. not. That's yeah, way later. Yeah, um, you mean like Minutemen and people like that? Yeah, like yeah. wars and the way they did uh, warfare. Yeah. I can't remember exactly. I forget. What I forget what the period is called. Yeah, yeah. My, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like it's escaping my mind for some reason, but. Uh, it had to do with that the 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 transition between the nature of warfare yeah. and the nature of the cultures that was conducting the warfare, mm-hmm. and so uh, the culture wasn't keeping up <laughs> with the technology mm-hmm. basically, and so when the Americans started to fight like the guerrilla warfare, the Native Americans, mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, it changed the way that warfare was conducted. Yeah. So. It's funny. Um, again, this is this is a rabbit trail, real quick. But um, just re- in relation to history and just how one man can change the entire course of history, very similar to how Churchill did it. It was with Churchill. It was one man standing against or, or mobilizing a nation to be the last man standing, which allowed us to eventually enter the war. I know that you know it would have been a much more desperate situation if Britain had been had fallen yeah. or surrendered or come to terms with Germany. Uh, and then we get attacked on Pearl Harbor, and we're the only ones left to even fight back. That would yeah. have been a much worse-case scenario. Yeah. But in relation to that, um, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but um, uh, they did a movie about him called Amazing Grace. But uh, well, uh, William Wilberforce. Will- William Wilberforce, yes. yes. So good, he, good story. Yes, a Christian man who changed, uh, who, who he began the process in the U.K. of eliminating slavery. And it, what's funny is people don't realize how that changed the Civil War. We would very likely still have slavery today, or at least it would be a very different history as far as in regards to slavery with yeah. the U.S. if it hadn't been for that one Christian man changing Britain about that. Because his timing on that was was very instrumental. Civil War was, well, when Wilberforce was, what, late 1700s? Civil so uh, War was in 1861. So the abolition of the slave trade, I think, was in 18... 18- it was very close. It was about like it was a couple decades. Yeah. So it was very close. Yeah, and it, what had and the uh, the South was actually in, the, in our Civil War uh, was petitioning to uh, the UK to actually ha- uh, enter the civil the U.S. Civil War to help them out. Eighteen oh seven. Okay, so so, so 61. sixty years about sixty years difference, and um, yeah, if it hadn't been for William Wilberforce, the UK would have had reason to join the south and yeah. fight the north which very likely would have made us lose the war uh, or made the north lose the war uh therefore keeping slavery alive in two major nations yeah but it all came down to one guy who's just like this is wrong let's change this yeah it's it's about the it's it's the power of worldview yeah right if if, if it, what changes a na- what what would cause someone to go and fight against something that's tyrannical it's not just it's not just uh, a feeling but there's actually a there's actually worldviews behind it like Mm -hmm. what you believe actually matters Uh, that's why evolution is so dangerous because it it eliminates (laughs) any sort of drive yeah conviction and worldview brings me to the avengers (laughs) it's like (laughs) you know why you're gonna lose because you lack conviction yeah oh yeah it's not it's not evolution by itself but it's It's a world devoid of a moral standard that stands above uh just human beings Mm -hmm. because if if every man is the measure of all things of all if man is the measure of all things then you have to ask yourself well which man you know and you Mm. you posited earlier like which man is it hitler or is it gandhi is it mother Teresa, or is it yeah. You know, who who is the standard for morality? So, mm-hmm. but uh, kind of to your point about because I could I could really go on a lot of rabbit trails off of uh, that story. Um, two things kind of tying it back into the movie is um, what well, kind of you're talking about it, but talking about worldview, but character. Mm-hmm. So Will Force um, took him twenty years to abolish the slave trade because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he'd brought up in Parliament and they shot him down. And so first of all, there's just this dedication to perseverance. Mm-hmm. But he also had it wasn't he was by himself in Parliament, but he also had I forget what the the clap hand uh, circle. But anyway, he had a group of friends that he was with, and so is this group of friends, and they all had their sphere of influence. With you had Granville Sharp, who was in politics, you had um, a woman who was in um, uh, entertainment, hmm. and so they were all dedicated Christians, taking their worldview into their sphere of influences. Mm-hmm. And so it was amazing how, and uh, Will Force had said he had two convictions that God had placed on his life, and it really was the rest of his life was, one, abolishing the slave trade, and two, he called it the reformation of manners, which is basically the morals of society, because England was terrible. You had (laughs) animals fighting outside, bloods running in the street, there was no sewage system, kids were being forced to work in dangerous conditions. Mm -hmm. And so it was that conviction that transformed England and yeah. of course affect the rest of history but um, I think of Churchill and I have a quote um, one thing that I, I think was amazing about Churchill is in the movie he gives a speech and he says how it wasn't true and he says I've been trying to be honest all these speeches until this one and you can see yeah. how he's so distraught over that but a quote that I have is um, 
someone was asking him about i think it was the um i forget what there was just like a huge you talked about all the failures that he has yeah. but one of them was um they're saying like hey we can blame so and so for this failure or this political thing and churchill says quote how easy it would be for me to simply put somebody else between myself and these problems and let them take the blow but i will never take that cowardly route let the blows come hard again and again for i know what i do is right hmm. and so kind of comes back to that conviction that <laughs> someone is willing to die for their conviction saying i know yeah. what this is this is right yeah and i feel like today we are we're needing some leaders who don't just say the right things we need people who fight for what they believe in yeah mm-hmm. who stand on moral principles they don't mind going character. down for it oh yeah and they find the glory in that because it's like if i go down i'm going down as a martyr because i know this is right yeah, yeah. Well, don't just ask the leader. Ask what spirit he holds. Yeah. Because if you find that out, you have more of an answer uh, to cling to. Spirit, like for example, uh, for example, like in a in a historical context, you can think of those who have come before um, great men and women that we have seen through the centuries, and we can look to them. In fact, we're reminded constantly: don't just look at those who inspire you, but also look at those who inspired the ones you're inspired by mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and even before that far far back as even ancient greece to mm. aristotle yeah. and and take note of what they learned what wisdom they gained because wisdom yeah. will cover all the ages it's not simply yeah. uh it's not simply um that's a good uh, quote s- uh, included within each cultural whatever culture comes and yeah, goes yeah absolutely it's funny even aristotle was abused by his own culture they hated him for a while and a lot of people st- i mean throughout his entire life some people still hated him but um, that's right so the yeah. the point with that is that their philosophies or people's what their worldview mm-hmm. uh, look to that first try and understand absolutely. why do they hold where does what, yeah. what meaning does do those foundations yeah. so one thing that that you learn about Winston Churchill when you read about who he is is that he was a good friend of the Jews and he had strong Christian convictions from God uh, uh, about uh, about uh, you know the things of God and the fact that uh, you know Jews were being persecuted in this way that was actually something that galvanized him to want to fight the tyranny of Hitler because like you know you don't always know this but a lot of the world didn't know exactly what was going on yeah. in that the was, war camps. They didn't, they didn't even, most yeah, of Germany, didn't most know. people didn't know yeah. until much later. Yeah, like after the war was over. They after didn't know. after the war, and in fact, there's still people today who will look at that and they will say, "No, that that didn't happen." Mm-hmm. There's still people who are, uh, you know, uh, death camp deniers, if you will, and uh, mm-hmm. just no, because we saw flat earthers too. So yeah, yeah. as if they always be some people. <laughs> So, uh, but there was a conviction, like, there was, there's many figures during this time period who were, who were burdened so deeply by the things that were happening, like, they couldn't sleep. Hmm. It was so bad because they knew that injustice was taking place and they had to do something about it. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. It's rare, rare quality to see nowadays. (laughs) We, 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 like, pretend but yeah, I don't think a real conviction there. actually sits there. Uh, I don't think that a real conviction for something could really sit on you and weigh on you like something like yeah. that, unless there's something bigger than you that's doing it. Yes. Because if you're only doing, because most people are only doing it out of out of I believe out of a sense of selfishness, mm-hmm. like this is this is for me, this is what I want. But when a conviction comes on you where there's actually something bigger than you and you know that that's the thing that's defining right and wrong and it and it's the there's real injustice taking place i think that's where a real burden will hit somebody and say this has to be done and you like that's how i feel about sharing the gospel for instance uh because i look at my life and i look at the vision of the kingdom that god uh, seeks to bring and how it's impacted and changed my life and how much it's changed the lives of uh, hundreds of people that I've seen come to Christ. How like they're literally living a way that's destroying themselves and maybe hurting other people as well. And they're completely transformed by the gospel. Hmm. Right? And when when Jesus was died on the cross, right? Uh, you can imagine that he must have been... Like, he was so stressed before it happened, he was sweating blood. 
and yet he was deeply convicted, right? When he was in the garden, he was like, he's like, if there's any other way, you know, let let it be that way, but not my will be done, your will be done. Yeah. And I think that I think that he was looking at like you and I uh, through the ages and saying, look, if if I don't if I don't do this thing, uh, then the redemption of of humanity will be gone. The redemption of not just humanity but creation as a whole. It it won't it won't proceed as it's supposed to proceed. So, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, so I I really think that uh, you know enacting justice on the earth is the is the big is the big driver uh, to to really see change in the world. Mm-hmm. You know when you yeah. see something not working as it, not functioning as it's supposed to function, you go. I may not be able to change all the other things, but this one thing, I want to change this one thing, and I'll give my life for it. Hmm. And I kind of want to ask you this question, definitely want to get y'all's opinion. So let's kind of see how we can kind of put this practically. Like, how do we culminate that conviction? And, you know, Glenn, why don't you... Can you of... explain a little bit more? What do you mean? Well, like, it's very easy for us to talk about things, but mm-hmm. never do anything. Mm-hmm. And so and I even feel convicted sometimes <laughs> just talking about this stuff it's like wow this is good information but yeah. what are we actually going to do so um kind of for those you know just us but also those who who are listening talking about like how do we formulate this conviction where it's like you know this is what i'm going to be about this is how i'm going to start yeah going down that road because what you're talking about is it's kind of a worldview shift but it's a paradigm shift it's like okay this is not just about me getting what I want, getting yeah. as much stuff, money, accolades as I want, but it's about what am you know, what am I gonna be about? What will my legacy be? Because yeah. Billy Graham just, you know, passed away a few mm-hmm. yeah. few days ago. Yeah. And this is a man we would have to look at his life and be like, Wow, what an impact. And that's not just something you just wake up and think, I think I'll be uh, you know, yeah. a world changer today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was his entire a consistent <laughs> lifetime. Yeah. And that's not just something you do on a whim. That's no. something that is there is, there is for every person in the kingdom of God, everyone who calls himself a son of God, Christian, a corporate call to advance God's kingdom, right? Uh, part of the problem is that our worldview has been hijacked. We don't know what the Bible is actually calling us to. We get a nebulous salvation story, but nothing about what the actual mission is. Because Jesus didn't save us just to save you. He saved us. Uh, for a mission, he saved us for a purpose. God's plan for, uh, through this was to empower God's people to bring God's kingdom on the earth. And God's kingdom on the earth isn't a physical space, but it's every person who looks to God and says, I want to reflect his image. So each, so all Christians have that call in general, mm-hmm. which means that you got to know what the mission is, and you've got to know who God is, yeah. right? When you know those two things, the, the other stuff starts to fall into place because each one of us also has a personal call. You remember when God gave the parable of the talents? He said, some servants I gave th- uh, you know, mm-hmm. three talents, some I gave two, and one I gave one, and he went down the list of how they responded. Well, that's like everybody's individual call. You've all been measured a. You've all been allotted a measure of gifting, a measure of uh, influence, uh, and all of that is never for just you, right? You remember mm. the unrighteous servant's response. He said, "He said, I knew that you're an unjust master, so I buried my talent, and then he dug it up and gave it back to him." He says, "Because you so you reap where you haven't sown," and the thing that's really atrocious about that story. Uh, because when I read the Bible, I tend to try to I tend to try to see how God maybe feels about these things. Hmm. Like you imagine, imagine you're imagine for a second you're God, and you don't really need anything, you don't really want anything. Why is He giving these people talents? Is it for something selfish? No, not at all. He's actually doing it for their sake. He's given them talents for their sake. Hmm. Uh, and out of his own goodness, right? God didn't God didn't save us because we were good. He saved us because he's good. He didn't save us because we were righteous. He saved us because he's righteous. He didn't save us because we were loving, but it's because he's loving, 
right? So he, gave, he gives us these talents, and it's never just for us. But it, it, but it is for us at the same time. So he gives us these, he gives us these gifts, these abilities, mm-hmm. and it's to bless us. But, but it's also to bless everyone around us, right? Yeah. When you look at the covenant given to Abraham, and I'll, and I'll kind of pause here and, and kind of give the, the imperative. Embedded in God's covenant was a, was a uh, promise that through us the nations would be blessed. That through Abraham the nations would be blessed. We were always, in, God always intended to bring all of the people of the earth into his covenant right mm-hmm. we're the fruit of that because we're not the jews we're the gentiles yeah and now we're grafted in and we know god now the imperative is this if you if you then know who god is and you know what the mission is then you must do it right mm-hmm. you're responsible he says everybody when they stand before god they're not going to be judged based on some hidden inward response they're going to be judged by their deeds that's still true even in the new covenant every person will be judged according to their deeds whether for good or for bad well and the great thing is that uh because i've had i've had that conversation with some people about you know uh, obedience and other religions i think we've we've touched on it in past Mm -hmm. podcast episodes too but the great thing is that um it's it's just like it's just like in a relationship or marriage or friendship. If you love the other person or there's a mutual love there, you do things for other people. Uh, it's it's a natural response. Yeah. And so when you love God, it's a natural response to yeah. follow his law. And it's not it's not even a matter of following the law. It's a matter of going above and beyond and, yeah. and going after the what he calls you to do. Yeah. Uh, and it's a desire to do that. It's not it's not a do this or you're out. Yeah. That's 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 religion. You're this compelled is compelled to do it. Right, yeah. It's not a, it's it's not being compelled to do it. It's uh he he tells us laws of things we we shouldn't do. He doesn't tell us what we are to do in the Bible. He he sets ground rules for everybody in in the fold uh saying these are the things that you are not supposed to do. These are the things I'm going to lay on your heart that you are being going to be convicted of guilt. Um and you're going to account for whenever you uh, uh, whenever you disobey me, you're you're going to feel that guilt, uh, and you will be punished. Um, that's that's just you know you, you you get punished when you do things wrong, but whenever you whenever you love me, it's a very obvious I love you. <laughs> I died for you, mm-hmm. I said my son, and, and he died for you. But uh, when you when you love me back, this isn't going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. You're you're going to naturally want to follow my law. You're going to naturally want to fulfill what I call you to do. Uh, and you're going to be more fulfilled than you could possibly imagine. Um, you're you're going to experience joy beyond what you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, the peace that passes all understanding. Um, it's just it's amazing how how much whenever you love someone and uh, especially someone as <laughs> as amazing as the Lord and Savior that we serve. Um, it's just amazing the response that or the yeah. what what He gives us in return. Yeah, I mean the and like I. I'm an extreme example. I come from an extreme kind of circumstance from how God sort of rescued me. But I, I really believe that it's actually supposed to be the norm, mm-hmm. right? When, G, when the Bible says that he laid down his life for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves but live for the one who laid his life down for them, I think of it as all of my life actually belongs to God now. And it, and it is birthed out of a deep love. Like, the love that uh, he, he... So he says this in Second Corinthians chapter 5. He says it's the love of Christ. It compels us to urge men, be reconciled to God, right? It's, it's his love, and it's compelling. Like, you have to do it. You don't have a choice in the matter. It's like a fire in your bones. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we have settled here in the West, in the West... Actually, I think in many places for this sort of cuddly view of Christianity that's unwilling to confront evil, that's unwilling to Has confront no, our no sense of yeah. Uh, yeah. comfort that we think that, yeah, if I, if I live life peaceably and I get to die in, in peace and I don't have to make any real sacrifices, that's real Christianity to me. Mm. But that's not real Christianity. That is a, that is a dead worthless piece of garbage Mm -hmm. Uh, when you look at the figures throughout the bible who were called by god every single one of them suffered tremendously Mm 
And I'm not saying go look for suffering. Or that they'll find you. Or that, you know, <laughs> calling some kind of calling you 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 have entails suffering. But for a lot of people who are called, you are going to experience varying degrees of suffering. In the in the more that you come and push against the established order, the more you're gonna suffer. Yeah. Right? Jesus did the hard work. He came and established the kingdom. And that and there and he's he's you know pushing back the kingdom of darkness but there's still a kingdom of darkness to push back yeah well and it's like there's what well, well, i was reading uh last week uh, uh i think egypt right now actually has some of the harshest persecution of christians specifically right mm-hmm. now uh, i mean they're they're actually being killed by the hundreds and the thousands at the moment right now in in egypt which is currently um just i mean it's in turmoil but um I mean, I, th- I think you're right, especially down here in the Bible Belt in Tennessee. I'm from Arkansas. It's even, I think it's even worse in Arkansas because it's uh, everyone around you, at least has a re- most people around you, have a respect for Christianity. Here, mm-hmm. it's more of a college town. I think there's still a general respect. It's still part of the Bible Belt. There's a lot of churches, but there's there's still a mix between people who don't respect Christianity. Um, but uh, it's we're just so in a bubble. We're just in a very, very nice, cuddly little bubble. Um, and we're... We're just so clueless to what other Christians and fellow believers and are going through, and, and that that still exists. And that's why I bring up the question, just because, like, if we are Christians and and just people in general, just having convictions about things. You know, like, there's things in my life that I'm honestly like, you know, something that's not right. Something should ought to be done about that. And I'm like, yeah. you know, life. Honestly, life gets busy. Other things take mm-hmm. priorities, paying the bills, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard to make sacrifices. But um, as you were talking about, Glenn, how you will be put to the test you will suffer and um i'm yeah. just thinking about like you know people like churchill wilberforce like they paid a heavy price like yeah. wilberforce definitely paid price with his health and definitely not being a popular figure among a lot of his yeah. uh, peers and yeah. and um john newton also his mentor suffered a lot as well and all the disciples were martyred except for john is it john john right yeah yeah, yeah. john um but um i guess part of it is knowing identity so definitely knowing who god is helps with that conviction and yeah knowing what you're going to be about and willing to pay it at any cost really helps determine that trajectory. Something I've wondered uh, more recently is are these, all these superhero movies and like the war video games, are they actual substitutes for that conviction? Mm. Um, I mean, not that, yeah, they're not, not that, not that it's a bad thing necessarily. I mean, you can argue as to kind of, yeah, we we love that conviction. We love the idea of of, the price. Yes, we don't want the price, and it's price. it's funny to me how you'll think about. Um, uh, I, I think I had a, a pastor preach a sermon one time. And he asked something that was like threw me way off, and it was it got me thinking. We we think about um, a, a glorious revolution, you know, bloody battles, dying in a blaze of glory. It's like, <laughs> yes, I'm willing to do that. Are you willing to use your lose your job for your faith? <laughs> Brings it down to reality. We love the glory and the flames and the the mighty death at the hands of a of a fearsome enemy. Yeah. Um, but it's like, are you willing to lose your job for yeah, your faith for if mundane, it came down to it? Mundane, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Are you willing to lose your comfort? It's like it's great going from comfort to battle, but are you willing to go from comfortable to very uncomfortable? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Winston. He was. You could see that Winston. he was terrified um, in the moment of that decision. Mm-hmm. And, and really, the words weren't coming to him, and you know, so he couldn't string his words together. He was afraid, and and expressed that plainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I think we could also learn from that. There is great fear, mm-hmm. and yeah. we do have great fears all the time. And if you say you don't have fear, you're a fool. Yeah, <laughs> you're a liar. You are you are fearful <laughs> in some way. Yeah. And it's that fear that is what makes courage such an inspiring and admirable quality. Because like when he's giving that yeah. speech, you're just like. You know, you're just wanting to just think, yeah. and I think that's kind of what you're hitting on is we have that love for these action hero yeah. movies because it calls in us something. We're, we're meant yeah. to be warriors in some capacity, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's it's ingrained inside of us, and we love when other people are standing on their convictions, and I think that's also why we are so disgusted when we see traitors mm-hmm. and see people who won't stand for anything because it's like, you were made for more than this. Yeah. What you're doing is wrong. You, yeah. You're supposed to be. So I think that's why we love those movies, but yeah. you're right. Um, they don't 
have that. Yeah. Makes, makes me think of Dark Knight Rises. Like, fear is why you, you don't succeed. It's like, I'm not afraid. It's like, that's the problem. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> without fear, can they really be courage? Yeah. I mean, it's a video, and then it's a video game where it's like, it's cool. Yeah. But there's no real price, and therefore yeah. it's not a real. Why do you think World War Two is the most romanticized? romanticized yeah. uh, I mean, that's what half of our war video games focus on is World War Two. Maybe World mm -hmm. War One some, but mainly World War Two because it was a very different enemy. It was a very clear enemy, and it was probably one of the most righteous wars the world has ever seen. Mm -hmm. It was definitely probably the most justified war ever. Yeah. Uh, in all of in pretty much all of human history, as far as I can think of. <laughs> yeah. So. Mm -hmm. You can imagine, you know, and this is this is kind of, you know, where Revelations kind of goes. Mm. But when people look at the conflict that takes place between the Son of Man and the corruption that he's up against, when they look at it backwards, they'll see it almost in the same light, if not to, the, if not even in a greater degree, the way that we view the conflict between the Allies and the Axis in World War II. That the enemy was very clear cut, it was, they were very clearly wrong, mm -hmm. and yet somehow there's there's still an enemy that's caught up in it, hmm. and there's still got to be people who rise up to stand against it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's really interesting how you know redemptive redemptive history, uh, you see these different conflicts played out uh, between genuine evil, which which you know. We say, does evil exist, and why does evil exist? All all those yeah. weird philosophical questions. But evil isn't evil isn't a physical thing. It's something that we manifest. It's something that we do. It's a description. It's an it's a it's an adjective. It describes actions that are immoral, that are contrary to what's written into the fabric of the universe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and uh, without evil, there is no free will. Yeah. I mean, you've, if uh, all that exists are good decisions or good good moments, you know, if you're about to run, if you're about to walk in front of an oncoming car without you realizing it, and God, you know, it's like, oh, okay, move that out of the way, or move you off to the side of the road so you don't get hit and survive. It's like, it's like, yes, that's a good thing, but that as if you draw the line throughout the entire spectrum of humanity, that eliminates all free will. You're not. If, if you're only free to make good decisions, you're not free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you're only free to make bad decisions, you're not free. Yeah. Um, and there's no need for conviction. There's no need for guilt or shame or any other emotion. It's literally just, it's robotic. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I think that's what people fail to see sometimes. And I think I, I said this in the last podcast or one of the recent ones. Um, when people ask about, um, or when people say I don't believe, uh, I don't believe in a god. I'm an atheist, or I don't believe in your god, and things like that. Well, ask them. Describe to me what you don't believe, because oftentimes they're thinking of the the god they don't believe in is a god who is who only allows good things to happen, and that's not a god we believe in. Yeah, yeah, so, it's a caricature. Yeah. Well, we've got uh, we've got to wrap this up here. We've got maybe a minute and a half, two minutes left. Any last quick points? Uh, I First of all, I'd say the way he was depicted was was well done. Yeah. Considering his, I've even read some of his biographies, well, and mm. learned some of his life, and even just through history with with World War Two, and it is accurately depicted, including mm. his uh, contrariness. His eating habits, his <laughs> drinking <laughs> habits. Yeah. Goodness. Goodness. How do you drink so much? <laughs> Practice. Practice. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great life. Yeah, exactly. So oh, I love the man. way you depict today. You did really well. I really want to make a quick comment talking about sacrifice. Just was I was also amazed by him, his wife and his family. Oh yeah. Because that scene it says yeah. so much where he's like now talking about, you know, how she says when I married him I knew I was gonna come second. His his life was gonna be public life. And you can see how she's come to grips with that, but still it's a painful process and how she's getting yeah. her picture done and she's alone. She's yeah. just hearing yeah. Winston off of the radio. And you see, it's ever so slight, the kids, as he's out of this, like, and the kids have had to c come to grips with that. Yeah. You see uh, one shot of the sisters looking at him. You see a shot of the son just drinking and how yeah. they essentially had a grow, grown up with a distant father. Mm -hmm. And um, there is something to be said about being a family, you know, being there for your family, and then also what are you called to? So it's yeah. it's a difficult line, but it's 
something I feel like everyone needs to value. What is the cost of this? Yeah. Because like, you know, I want to be there for my family and we all should be there for our families, but he definitely had this, this priority of I'm called to serve this nation first. And yeah. by, I, I was amazed at his wife's character that she's like, I am here for you and I want people to love and respect you as I do. Mm-hmm. So I think that was some great yeah. character on her part as well and yeah. his family. Well, Glenn, it sounds like you're called to take care of the a lot of the spiritual family. So appreciate that. <laughs> we, I think we can all attest to the the sermon you gave oh, midway yeah. through there. Like you, you found the right passion. You found you found your passion. Yeah. You're definitely yeah. called to that. So that, that yeah, yeah, very much appreciate that. So thanks for coming on to the show, Glenn. Yeah, thank so, you. We'll uh, we'll be praying for you and hoping you can maybe come back before you <laughs> off to Germany. Yeah. So um, but yeah. All right. So for Cinema Rabbit Trails, this is uh, Jerry Andrew. David Leffler, Adam Rice, and Glenda Tugan. All right, see you guys next week. See ya.